0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and N.A. member FDIC. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here. He is a return guest, uh, I should mention. So, we have Sean Nelson, who is the founder and CEO of the furniture manufacturer called Love Sack. And if you haven't bought a love sack yet, you definitely need to do that. But the key thing that we're going to talk about today is this brand new, incredible book called Let Me Save You 25 Years. And uh, I don't know if it'll save you 25 years or if it will save you a lifetime, but definitely the title of this book says it all, as Sean knows from experience, having encountered uh, some little, many hidden or unanticipated difficulties along the way since he started his company, Love Stack, more than two decades ago. It's such a great read and uh, definitely a very, very beautiful, almost uh, coffee table book. Um, It's really super nice. So I'm excited to have Sean back to talk a little bit more on the show about all of the different aspects of the book, including the great lessons that come along with it. So welcome, Sean. How are you?
1: So good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, super excited. So uh, first, I'd love for you, for anybody who's not familiar with Love Sack, maybe you can just give sort of a background on the company.
1: Yeah, the, the quick version is, um, hence the title of the book, it's been a 25-year saga we started. As a giant not beanbag company, we we make these, you know, beanbags full of shredded foam that could fill the back of a truck. Made those in college as a side hustle. Um, got a big order, forced me to build a factory using farm equipment. Crazy stories there, some of which we unpacked on our first round on your podcast, and and are unpacked deeply in the book. Uh, all kinds of gory details, photos to go with this stuff. You know, a hay buster. Hay grinder, farm equipment, used to shred foam. And uh, wanting to keep going after completing that big order right out of college, opened our first retail store at a mall in Salt Lake City, Utah during the Winter Olympics there back in 2001. And it worked. And people, uh, we, we ended up opening more stores all over the West. I ended up winning a reality TV show with Richard Branson on Fox, uh, raised venture capital off of that, private equity had to restart the company along the way. I mean, it's all the all the gorious details, the highs and the extreme lows. Uh, full chapter 11, start over, everything are in this book. And finally, kind of making it out in, in the, I don't know, the last decade, we came public in 2018, making mostly sectionals, these modular couches you can have the rest of your life. The company was doing 100 million then when we came public and now this year, Roughly 700 is where the analysts show us wrapping up the year that we're in uh, just completing right now. And uh, so it's been a wild ride from my parents' basement to you know, a billion dollars in valuation at different times, depending on the stock market. And now we're still going and have lots in store for the future.
0: That's wild. So you wrote this incredible book called Let Me Save You 25 Years. Why now? What was it that you said, I got to go write a book?
1: Well, as the stories unfolded, just more and more fantastic things have happened, crazy. So the subtitle is Mistakes, Miracles, and Lessons from the Love Sex Story. And there have been all of those uh, endless sort of crazy events that you couldn't dream up happening along the way, you know, every time I've ever wanted to quit. There's been reasons that I couldn't, you know, miracles happening um, that have allowed me to kind of keep going or or convince me to kind of keep going through all the craziest, hardest times. And uh, waking up, celebrating our 25th anniversary last year, realized, oh, my gosh, if I'm ever going to put this out there, now's the time. So we did it in tandem with that. It's just come out. And you know, double entendre, right? It's, it's a quick, short story. You could read it in like an hour. Um, but I've I wanted to do something different. I read all the business books, and I wanted to put something out there that was very different. So as you see, it's loaded with just gritty images. You know, this was this began before we all had a, f- a phone in our pocket. This story, so they are not pretty, but they're real. And I tried to share the real story with the real images, full bleed. You know, it's more like a coffee table book, as you said. And it's basically one chapter is, is a story and the, and, and the chapter following kind of is the lesson that comes along with it and these 25 little Seanisms, you know, lessons I learned the hard way and perhaps might not save you 25, but it might save you a decade. I think I could have saved a decade. I think I could have gotten to where I am now in business a decade earlier, you know, as they say, if I had only known then what I know now and just trying to share that out.
0: Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart, Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Redeem your 50% off at Rosettastone.com slash today today. When you think of one of your earliest, hardest lessons, maybe and you said, okay, this is where it's it's uh it's all gonna it's going to hell in a handbasket. Right? Like, yeah do you, can you think about that? Like what was one of the craziest stories that maybe you told your buddies or you know, told your kids about, I mean, we certainly in growing hints of many, many stories along the way that we still, you know, sometimes we're even thinking about things that we hadn't even talked about in years. Right. But what was one of the earliest crazy stories that you learned that now you look back on that? I don't know, maybe kind of got in the way of you actually being able to Uh, Grow in some way.
1: Well, a a good example. One of the stories I unpack in the book is um, we were a bunch of kids trying to make this thing work. And hats off to us. Like the first Seanism in the book, right? Chapter one, first lesson: just do something. And I did. I got off the couch, made a big beanbag. But that hurtled us down this path where eventually we got this giant order. We had to complete. by christmas for this big client i had taken their money i'd spent their money on a deposit i had to i had to make this work or it was going to ruin me and i was in the factory that we had built using farm equipment tr- getting the pallets the first pallets ready to load on a full size semi truck using a forklift you know front to back loaded with small shrunken down sacks that we had shredded using this farm equipment was, all, everything about it was ridiculous and, and the only reason farm equipment is cuz we couldn't afford you know a proper German shredder for half a million dollars this you know it was a it was a quarter million dollar order. We had to build the factory on credit cards and I remember I'd ordered my first ever semi truck what do, What do I know about a semi truck? you know it was a thirteen foot tall semi truck, so we built thirteen foot tall pallets and the when the semi truck backed up to the door to take the full first two weeks' worth of shrink of shredded and shrunken sacks boxed palletized shrink wrapped each pallet was like five feet too tall to fit in this truck. And I remember calling the trucking company, you know, screaming at them like, what the heck? You guys sent me a short truck. And they're like, I don't know. Let me find out like what truck showed up. And the truth is we were just too dumb as a bunch of 20 somethings to know that 13 feet met thirteen feet from the ground measuring up and there's that space underneath the semi truck. So in other words, the the box itself is more like eight, eight, nine feet. We didn't know what we didn't know. We couldn't have known and, and we could have. Had I been humble enough and, I guess, smart enough to go really get someone involved who knew their stuff, but we were piecing it together. And I think, uh, you know, so there's lots of lessons packed in this book about, you know, finding mentors, finding experts, listening to experts, not listening to experts, because there's a time for both. You know, one of, one of the Shaunisms mind the experts. There's, there's, there's pros and cons to having experts tell you what you can and can't do. And all the all these lessons along the way that I try to I try to marry these lessons with these stories to illustrate. And so, you know, the whole point of that story is we were just too dumb to even know. And uh could have avoided those problems had we done some things differently and probably should have. So,
0: yeah, I, I uh I loved that story because it's um, you know, on un- Maybe it's the saying, you know, fake it until you make it, right? Yeah. Especially when you're young, you just don't want to ask, right? And yet, how many of your friends were actually trying to hire, uh, you know, the, the same kind of people that you needed to do this to sort of ask? And I mean, where would you have gone? I guess you could have yeah. figured it out, but it's just, it it really truly is a... Uh, um, you know, you think you know what you're doing. And I think it also speaks to, I remember reading that story in the book. It also speaks to, you know, it's kind of lonely at the top, yeah. right? Here you are a, a young entrepreneur and you're trying to show that you've got it all together, but you just don't want to show how vulnerable you really are, right? Yeah,
1: and it's, it's tricky because sometimes you're just moving so fast that, you know, you could stop to do the research or ask the questions or seek out the mentors. But at the same time, we were just trying to survive. And, and in a way, I don't regret it because obviously it got us here. But I do think, um, you know, at the time, at listen, at the time, this podcast didn't exist. Podcast didn't exist. We were bootstrapping before the word bootstrapping had, I think, been invented. Like all of this modern culture over the last two decades of Young entrepreneurship, you know startup culture, hustle culture. none of that was a thing. This, this, this story began in 1995, technically, and, so, uh, and the story I just told happened around 2001. And so you know, the arc, I think, of the 25 years has value in itself because today, a, a, a would-be entrepreneur of any age. Has so much resource. They can listen to your podcast. They can listen to my podcast, also called Let Me Save You 25 Years, and, and where we go deep into every one of these Seanisms with guests like you. You were kind enough to come on and be my guest. And we unpack these things very deeply. And it's of all free. Like all the proceeds from my book are donated to the FBLA. Like I'm not even taking any money from it. Same thing with the podcast. I got no advertisers on my, like, I'm just trying to put it out there, as you are, I know Kara, in a lot of ways, because it's it's good for the world. It's obviously, and 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 by the way, the meta opportunity of us connecting through this medium as entrepreneurs to help each other and network and and do whatever. But there's so much now, and I didn't have that then. But it's only useful to you if you're taking advantage of it.
0: Yeah. No, I totally agree. There's there's definitely places to find it for sure. And there weren't as many. Absolutely. So you gained some recognition in the entrepreneurial world in the show Rebel Billionaire. uh, And do I have the name correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And in the early 2000s, if you could sum up that experience, what would it be?
1: Look, traveling the world for two months with Richard Branson on his Airline landing in, I don't know, 11 different locations all around the globe and competing against, you know, people like Sarah Blakely, who was in the final with me, you know, founder of Spanx. It was, it was a dream. It was un- unreal. It was hard to believe that that happened, but it did. And I won and I won a million dollars on TV. And I think, um, you know, but even that, like there's a there's lessons in that. Like at the time Richard handed me this check on Fox Network for a million dollars and everyone's dying. Cause at the time that was the biggest prize ever seen on TV. It was the first show shot all in high def. and it was all over the world. It was a beautiful show. And I'm only thinking, oh my gosh, I have two million in debt. Like this isn't even gonna you know, fix it. But but it and you can't see that on TV. I'm not gonna say that on TV. And so you never really know the backstory. You know, we see so much and entrepreneurship is glossy and entrepreneurship is sexy. And, you know, I've known since then a few billionaires and hundred millionaires. And uh, there's a lot behind the gloss that you don't know and you can't know. And in the end, everybody's struggling in one way or another. If it's not with money or funding or whatever, it's just the grind of it or their families falling apart or... Things that you can't see through the TV or through the video or, you know, behind the scenes. But I think it's universal. So I don't mean to take it all negative. It was a dream and it was amazing and it got me started. Um, the Rebel Billionaire with Richard Branson, but it did not fix everything and brought its own set of problems. You know, I remember um, I experienced my 15 minutes of fame and people. One of the things, this is going to sound really weird and it's not in the book, but one of the things that people underestimate about fame, and I wasn't super famous, but locally I was in Utah. I was like a household name because I was like the local kid who won a million dollars with Richard Branson on TV. Uh, People lose their empathy for you. You know, like now you're just a rich guy or you're a famous guy. And if you're not kind at every moment, at every turn, at every interaction, you're just a jerk. Or, what have you? And and I got to experience a little bit of that and realized like, oh, this is the price of being famous, so to speak, for just one minute, thankfully. Like I, I don't I wouldn't want massive fame after all that. And so all kinds of lessons from all of these experiences. And that was the goal of the book is just to kind of share some of those and be useful if I can.
0: And Richard has been a friend of yours for many, many years uh from that experience too, which is just absolutely awesome. You and I talked about that, that I had a chance to go to Necker and it was just uh really, really amazing. So and uh highly recommend it to anybody who's who's listening. They're constantly there's all kinds of entrepreneurial uh different trips that different people um, have put together that I highly recommend. Um, trying to get there, I think just the the island in and of itself is absolutely gorgeous and and uh, really terrific. But it always seems like there's really interesting people that are there too. Every time I meet people and talk to people who have had an experience there, they tell me about different groups um, that have gone there too.
1: Yeah, it's almost like this mecca for entrepreneurship, and it's neat what Richard's done with his life and with his. I mean, that island, you know, he bought. In 1978, for 120 thousand dollars.
0: I know it's insane. It's uh, it blows my mind. Yeah, and, and and of course now, I mean,
1: it's it's almost priceless. But it's neat to see that he didn't just turn it into only a bougie resort, but a place where uh, people connect. And to this day, he's still there. You know, showing face and and hosting. I was just there a few weeks ago, actually, on one of these with Liberty Ventures, and that's a cool one. There's lots of different ways that you can get to places, if not Necker, like Necker, to connect with people like Kara, you know, or or me, or you know, wh- other like-minded individuals that that you can learn, grow, and uh, you know, benefit from being connected or, or or just learn from. And but you have to put yourself out there. And you know, again, back to back to these Seanisms, You know, that was that was the one that came from Necker Island, uh, chapter thirteen make your own luck. That was me and Richard laying on the roof of the great house before it burned, the old great house on Necker. And uh, I asked, he was asking about what I believed and I got into religion and I asked him and he said, well, I believe we make our own luck. And, I, and at first I didn't, I write about this in the book, I didn't really buy into that because luck just seems so dismissive. But after a lot of bad luck and you know bad timing in life, collaborating to bring us down at different moments. You start believing in luck. I mean, if there's bad luck, there there must be good luck too, and not just pro- divine providence always. And uh, and so anyway, you know, I have a lot of feelings and thoughts about that. But but Richard kind of inspired that Shaanism, and and I think to this point, if you can't put yourself in places like that where you can bump into people and make connections and see what comes of all that, of how can you expect any luck? You know, if you're yeah, not out there creating. So true. It.
0: It's so, so true. So I want to talk about that, though, for a second. So the finding your own luck. Like, let's say you're feeling like you start a company, nothing's going right. Uh, You know, obviously, you have to sort of look at the overall business and the idea and all those things. But how do you put luck in your journey if you're just feeling like it, it just things are just. The world is against you. And obviously, I think any entrepreneur has days like that. But what would you say to that?
1: Yeah, I would say that's where my testimony of luck came from, is from those feelings that the world is against me. Like, okay, so if there's bad luck, it's like, are you kidding me? Like this happened and that, and it happens to be at this time when a check just cleared and we don't, you know, whatever, I don't know, just the world conspiring against you. On the other hand, if that's true, then luck is in play. And I very much believe we have, we experience these waves and these moments. But if we've not continued to push through, do the work, network, read the books, learn the things, um, meet the people, uh, do the work on your hands and knees sometimes, you know, on, in my case, on a ladder, opening showrooms myself when we just didn't have the money to do it. And it just had to be my own sweat equity, my own grit. And then things happen. And in hindsight, usually you realize, oh, that was pretty lucky. But in the moment, it's just your life happening to you. And look, if you're religious, you can thank God. And, and look, I, I am. And I think that to some degree, it's all connected. I, you know, my, I talk about this in the book. I'm pretty honest and open with it. You know, I don't think, as a believer, I don't think God created the universe as a magician. I think you know, there are meteors hurtling all over the galaxy. And and I think that the 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 Big Bang or or the or the you know, the the happenstance that maybe you know if you want to get scientific about it, create it from the Earth to, to even human relationships as we ricochet off of other people, and things happen and unfold. And oh my gosh, who could have guessed that this this meeting this one person would lead to this other connection that led to my funding of my company or who knows what? Are is not so different than asteroids hurtling around the the cosmos colliding and and combining elements in a way to create an earth. So I don't mean to get so esoteric, but but I believe that we now make our own luck. And Richard kind of taught me that. And I believe that. And I think, but you have to be out there making it. And listen, sometimes it can be years. And that's the benefit of a story like mine. Look, I wish. I have friends who, they're richer than me. They made more money than me. They did it in two, three, four, five years. They've already onto their second, third, fourth, fifth. I'm still running the company. I started in college, yeah. but there's a benefit to that too. And by the way, I think exactly. I have a shot at building a Nike. I think I have a shot at building a brand that's here for 50 or a hundred years. I really do. Now, whether that'll happen, we'll see, but I'm in the middle of it. It's not like my story's over at 25 years. It's just This is just kind of where we're at. And it was a good moment to write the book. And so there's benefit to long stories. There's benefit to short stories. You're always comparing yourself. And usually, sadly, the media picks up on the really shiny ones, the really fast ones, the really hot ones. And then we think that's normal. And by the way, for every one yeah. of those, as we all know, the the data, there's 10 more or 100 more that failed. So if you're lucky enough to even still be breathing, to be able to rub two nickels together and keep your thing going, whatever that thing is, you're already in the top 10%. Yeah.
0: Definitely. And I think it also speaks to, I always say complacency will kill you. Where, you know, that I think that that goes along with a lot of what you're saying too. It's like you've got to keep moving and finding out, going out and trying new things. And I felt that way in your book too, that you didn't have all the answers. You were, you know, tripping, but you just kept getting back up. And I think like that is, uh, we talk about resilience and tenacity and all of those things. And I think it's, uh, it's very rare that you, that an entrepreneur, maybe they're not going to do it the first time. Uh, but you know, the ones that actually show that they're not going down, right. They're going to keep getting back up again and keep moving. And I think that that's also what your story really lays out for people. And I also love the pictures too, because I'm a visual Mm -hmm. person. So that's really helpful. But in the book, you talk about the long-term entrepreneurial journey and the challenges that persist for you as revenue increases. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, What comes to mind when I say that to you?
1: Yeah, I mean one of the one of the stories I share in the book is I'm standing in front of my college class. I'm, I'm I become a later in my life. I become a a teacher in the master's program at Parsons School of Design, so top design school in the world. I'm teaching their master's program in New York City. Don't ask me how it all transpired. It was amazing. It was a cool experience, and I'm feeling like a total fraud because I'm presenting to them my. My framework, I call it the the 12 W's framework. It's like a, it's a strategic guide, which I think is a foolproof way to build like a strategic plan for a business. And I'm presenting it as the answer to so many things. And meanwhile, my business is falling apart and might be done in the next 30 days if I can't get this funding. And I'm thinking, how could my business possibly be as fragile at 70 million in revenues as it was at seven or at, I don't know. Seven seven thousand dollars in revenue, like it just feels the same it's the numbers are much bigger, and the consequences are higher i've got four kids now, you know, like oh my gosh i i' I'm, I'm still renting at the time, like I could be financially ruined, and yet here I am now at seven hundred how ironic is that and and I'm not saying it's as fragile necessarily, but the feelings are the same at the same time, like. I've got to stay ahead of my competition. They're biting at my heels. I've got you know different patents that will expire. I've got to be innovating into other categories, and I've got now fifteen hundred employees that are counting on me to make good decisions so that it doesn't impact them in a in a market that's terrible for the furniture category right now in real time. Like most of my competitors are down twenty percent for the last two years, year on year straight. Love's thankfully, lovesec's grown a little bit, but we were growing at like forty five percent. 40, I don't know, 40% for almost a decade, a decade of that growth and it's slowed down. And so, you know, it makes you nervous and it makes you thoughtful about what comes next. And thankfully we have a bright future and we have a lot of great things coming, but I, I got to stay sharp. And so I think like, no matter, and by the way, I, I believe, and I, I don't mean to speak for him, but I believe to some degree, Richard Branson just to pick on him because we were talking about him, feels that way. You know, he's got all these different businesses. And by the way, he's had hundreds succeed and hundreds fail, literally, along the way. There's, there's the mogul of moguls. And it just never ends. It just never ends. There's always something ebbing and flowing and working and not working, whether we're talking about one business or multiple businesses or, or just within one business. There are elements that are working and elements that are not. And so it, I don't know what to tell you. It's hard. But that's why they pay you, I harp on this, that's why they pay you the big bucks. You are the, you are the CEO of your own life. Decisions are tough. There's no right answer. And that's why CEOs are paid so much because it's flipping hard.
0: Yeah, definitely. So it's so crazy how our lives are, are, the four kids and starting a company. And it's so crazy how there's so many similarities <laughs> in, in totally. your story, just a different industry. Yeah. So I I love the chapter where you describe planning an exit strategy and then shifting to focus on continuing to build. Uh, So what lessons I I don't know pivots or like what lessons can really be learned from that?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, the a few of the Shaunisms I celebrate in the book embrace uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Um. I I think it's something I've never heard talked about much in entrepreneur circles. Occasionally I'll get a whiff of it, but um, I've thought a lot about what makes an entrepreneur an entrepreneur. And one of the key attributes that is vague and hard to put your finger on is the ability to embrace uncertainty, the ability to thrive in uncertainty. And I think those of us who are entrepreneurs take for granted This superpower because it's just how we live. Like we're we're just kind of like live with it, where uncertainty can break uncertainty can break normal people down into a pile of mush. Like they would sooner know the answer and take less pay, take a worse outcome, take, you know, whatever to get certain over just not knowing, not knowing. How this is going to work out, not knowing where it 's going to go from here, and so if you get the sense and look it 's hard on all of us, even those of us who have a stomach for it, but if you get the sense like you cannot deal with uncertainty, well, then maybe entrepreneurship is not for you, and that is not a criticism. If everyone were an entrepreneur, we would not have anybody working at Lovesack. everyone would just be running around doing their own thing and and we need people of all kinds of different expertise to build things, to truly build things. And that's where I'm at now is like, obviously we're past the startup phase. We're a public company traded on NASDAQ. It's been public for going on six years now. I'm proud of that. And it's rare to have a founder that's able to stick around. I'm proud of that. And we'll, you know, I hope that we can continue, but it means I have to be sharp. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm no longer just like the owner of the company outright or that sort of thing. So what do, and that's another thing that we I unpack in the book is so what's the answer to that? Well, be Michael Jordan. Like nobody wanted Michael Jordan to leave the Bulls. He wasn't the owner of the team. He wasn't the coach of the team. But certainly nobody wanted him gone. And so, how do you make yourself? How do you maintain control? Be awesome. Now, what's wrong with that? Are you afraid of being awesome? I mean, that's ownership, right? That's true ownership. And, and I, I boil that down another Seanism to, uh, it's your fault. Like have this attitude. Like no matter where you are in an organization, you don't have to be the CEO. You can, it, the, whatever you happen to be in charge of, it's your fault. So I, I, I have all these little pithy phrases that I live by and that we, we unpack in depth on the book and on the podcast. Let me save you 25 years. But um, the lessons are endless, as you know, Karen. by the way, after I finish these first 25 on the podcast, I'll go another 25 because the lessons are endless and they're the same. Like you have, you know, the same things, Cara. That's what's so fun about the podcast is I could have people like you on and I don't, you don't need any prep. I could give you any one of these Seanasans. You've already learned the same things. I know that.
0: No, it's so, it's so true. And I think that that's where, where people learn. I mean, I, I go back to you're in YPO as well. I, I think it's this theory that just by hearing somebody else's story of how they've been through something um, versus actually solving somebody's uh, problems for them. The former is the most helpful to people, right? That they can put it into their own framework, but being able to see that, Hey, Sean's been through this. He's still standing. Mm -hmm. He still has his, you know, smile, he gets dressed every day, you know, <laughs> He's able to yeah, like survive. Right. And I think that's a really powerful thing, uh, for people yeah. to be able to see. And your stories, uh, definitely are, are, um, you know, jaw dropping, uh, to say the least. And I think just being able to put it into a framework where people can learn from it is just really super helpful. So um, I've heard you say, as someone who is ambitious, being patient, or sometimes telling people to be patient, feels really unambitious. Uh, mm. Being what is it? Being forced to take it slow. I've learned great patience is uh, is a superpower, and is your superpower. So I'd love to hear your take on on patience and how how does one become patient? I I can't mm. say that's my superpower uh, still mm. to this day. I, I, I'm forced to be patient, but I'm not happy about being patient.
1: Yeah, thank you. That That's very astute. And it's the final Seanism in the book, maintain top ambition with infinite patience. Uh-huh. And I've learned so much of it is an attitude. Listen, no one would accuse me of being a patient person. My wife, my kid, no one, probably. But I believe I am because I've been forced by life to become that, right? Like it's taken me this long just to get my company here. And by the way, there's things that pop sooner and do this or happen faster or whatever. And so it's kind of been forced upon me. But I've learned that just because you can adopt an attitude of extreme patience, like it'll take as long as it takes, like, like put, on the, put on that jacket for a minute. I will, I will take as long as it takes. Like you did this with your podcast and now it's it in the went. top 1% of all podcasts. I'm on, I'm on the road. I'm only on episode 13, Cara. And, and, but this is the trick. So it, it goes along with grit. Do you, are you able to maintain that attitude? Like I will go as long as it takes. It Where most people, they get seven episodes in a dozen, even 20 or even a hundred. And, and at the end, And by the way, maybe they should quit. I'm not saying you should just stick with everything, but if you can maintain top ambition, so if you're, and that's the trick too. It's not just patience, it's not just grit, but main like. So what do you want? You want to be in the top of podcasts, okay? Buckle up and don't lose sight of that. Now you, you, it's it's not enough just to keep going either. You have to do all the things. You have to navigate. You you went and did 500 podcasts, other people's podcasts, to get the word out there on yours. Well, that didn't take. Less than a year, I mean, or two, or three, or four. Like, so it wasn't just that you could stick with a podcast; it's that your ambition didn't change. You want to be at the top. I do too. I want LoveSack to go on to become a Nike, to be a fifty or hundred year brand. Okay, how long is that going to take? I don't know. So, it I found through all this, it becomes quite motivating also to my own team when. They get the sen- they don't get the sense from me ever, like oh you know maybe Sean will sell all his stock next year and be kind of done and then it'll you know and then will be owned by Public Co and they'll recruit a C- new CEO. People are often terrified of that because you never know where a company goes and usually usually it doesn't necessarily go great unless the founder thinking around or screwing up. You know it often doesn't go great from there and so when my attitude is not only will I do this now for as long as it takes. Now, whether or not that's true, who knows? Maybe a meteor comes along and someone buys the company for a trillion dollars and you know they walk away with it and they don't even want me there. But my attitude has to be, I will go as long as it takes. And then that becomes contagious. And I'm able to say to my people when sometimes they're like, oh, another year where we can't afford to hire for this or that. And I can put my arm around and be like, just be patient. And now I'm the one, usually the driver, the entrepreneur, the go-getter, the like, we can do everything. We can do anything. And now I'm the one, like the old guy in the room saying, just be patient. And yet we'll go another year without hiring for that because we can't afford to this year because it's a down year. It's a tough year. And when you have that attitude, by the way, it often unfolds that it's not so tough of the year and you can hire for that and you get lucky. But your attitude has to be as long as it takes. And it's amazing how lucky you can get when that's your attitude and what a good culture that breeds, as opposed to like, am I just going to make this guy rich? Am I just, is he just, you know, ready looking for a chance to drop the mic and walk away? Because by the way, there's so much of that. There's so much wealth extraction out of companies that ruins companies. Cause that's all that they're motivated by is just sucking the wealth out and the culture dies on the vine. And so I think the magic is when you can maintain top ambition with infinite patience.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. So, I mean, I think a lot of what you're talking about too is leadership, right? So, it's uh, being able to, you know, think back on some of those stories. I think with age, that's what I have always said to my team too. It's, it's a, um, you know, remembering the, Two thousand eight, two thousand nine times, which um, weren't pretty for anybody. Versus, um, you know, looking at COVID and everything going on during that time. I think it's it's uh, if you're not old enough to be able to remember some of those really hard times where you had the patience and uh, you had the curiosity to figure it out and get back up again, and all of those um, different. Points that you point out in your chapters, I think it's the it, it's just so key to be able to share those with people, and and um, and I think being able to lead from that perspective is also just absolutely key. So yeah,
1: and super and, and honesty. Like I I I've tried hard with this book and with my podcast to be really honest and put it the way it is, and it's not always flattering. It's embarrassing. Like I've been through a lot of crap, and it's you know, and I'm not. The because of it, I'm not the richest guy in the world, and 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 I may never be. I mean, I'll do fine. I'm not complaining. My point is, is like I have plenty of rich friends who, in some cases, might trade places with me just to have four kids who still like them or that they didn't miss their childhood. And so there's a balance to all this. And I talk about in the book, you know, one of the Shaunisms, my favorite, play along the way, and you know, and everything else is dust. And and putting your priorities first. And so. Look, and then you say, oh my gosh, really? Like you're talking about grit and surviving. And now you're talking about like maybe putting your family first. In my case, that's, you know, what matters to me. Yeah. And by the way, well, how do you do that? It's hard. It is so hard. It's not easy. And it's a daily minute to minute, hourly endeavor to be present and then be engaged and then work in the scenes and cracks and sometimes go all night and sometimes travel heavy and sometimes not. But you are the CEO of your life. That's why they pay you the big bucks. And CEO decisions are hard. So buckle up and get used to it.
0: That's so true. How old are your kids? What's the range?
1: Uh, My kids are 15, 13, 11, and nine. Three girls and a boy is the 11-year-old. That's awesome.
0: Really cool. It's... I. I talk about in my book, I talk about my son, who's a senior in college now. And, you know, it's so fun for me now is, uh, watching my kids who basically grew up and hint and grew up and, uh, you know, walking into target stores and pulling cases out from the back room with me. I mean, what kids, you know, do that. Uh, but, how much they learned about business, about management, about leadership, um, and life just overall, it'll be really fun. I started really seeing a lot of that around 17, 18, which is, you know, not too far from when you started your company. Right. But those things start, the dots eventually connect, right. To, uh, bring our Steve Jobs, um, Theme back in here, but it's it's definitely a, uh, a it it's really fun to to see that. So it's sort of another aspect of entrepreneurship that I think a lot of people don't talk about, and um, you know how much your kids are are benefiting actually yeah. from watching you and go through the good times and also the challenging times. And again, yeah. Richard, I mean, I think his uh, you know clearly his kids have have seen that as well
1: yeah I, I had a friend say to me the other day who's a very wealthy friend who exited early retired in his 40s and it was interesting he actually called. he actually uh, called me or texted me and said um you know I mean on the one hand I really like oh, I wish I was just flying around in planes and surfing a lot or whatever I'm still in the grind on the other okay. hand obviously I have enough expertise around me that I don't have to do some of the th- I'm not on the ladder setting up stores anymore like i got past that and and i get to have more time than i did before you know my life has ebbed and flowed but this friend of mine said to me i really envy you because i realize my kids don't see me work so here he is super wealthy retired you know and and he's and he envies me cuz i'm still in the grind and and so i think there's value in just you know, listen, people were meant to work, in my opinion. And it doesn't mean you have to work forever. It doesn't mean you have to grind your life away. It doesn't mean that there aren't times in your life to do less or, you know, focus more on your family or whatever it may be. But I think that at some level, human beings are meant to work and it's okay. and And I think that it's natural and normal. And if you can not wreck your life for work, if you can find a way to do that. And, you know, achieve some good things and be productive. By the way, entrepreneur, not entrepreneur, employee, it doesn't matter. There's value in that. And I think sometimes that's overlooked. I think we're all chasing like Necker Island and like, oh, I was rich enough to do that. I know a lot of people who have those things. And I still believe, I want to believe that building something at any level, being a part of something, doesn't matter if you're CEO. Is valuable and useful and good.
0: I I totally agree. My my dad, long, crazy story, but my dad ultimately retired in his, his 60s and he was so excited. He was going to play golf every single day. Mm-hmm. And, he, and that lasted for about a week. And then mm-hmm. what he figured out is none of his friends uh, either c- didn't play golf or uh, they couldn't play golf because they were working. And so then he spent I don't know. It probably took him two months to say that was really stupid that hmm. I uh, that I retired, and and he kept saying don't don't ever stop working. That doesn't mean that you have to work as hard, yeah. but always be doing something, always be thinking about, um, always be you know doing something, even if it's nonprofit work that you care about, that you feel like has impact. You don't yeah. have to be leading that charge for your whole life, but he had this big feeling about that. As well, that he had made that mistake and and just drilled it in all of our heads until uh, the day that he passed away. So definitely, but
1: retirement well, was it. not a retirement was not a real thing. It was instituted by a German chancellor who wanted a chance to lead, and all, and the older guys weren't stepping down. And so he found a way through the version of the Senate to make it mandatory, and now we you know retirement became a thing. But there's nothing wrong with being productive. I think, until the end of your days, no matter how you choose to do that. And, and I like what you said. It could be less, but it doesn't have to be everything.
0: So if there's one message that, maybe it's one chapter or one message that you want to leave the audience with, uh, maybe a, a, an important takeaway. Obviously, you broke this into 25 chapters, uh, lots of different incredible lessons, but What's the one message that you want people to walk away from this interview thinking about before they go and get your book and and uh learn a lot more about Sean and, and love sack, but also, you know, just again about life, I think is is what I really took away from the book.
1: Oh, so, so hard. I mean, you know, these 25 Shaunisms, um each one is like a little child to me and I, I love to unpack them in the book and on the pod. Uh, I, they mean a lot to me. I'll pick one um, to wrap up with this idea. <laughs> it, it was one of those moments where I really thought it was after the bankruptcy and we had to start over and it was embarrassing. I just won a million dollars on TV and now like my company's in chapter 11. It's like the most humiliating thing in my life. And really I probably should have left and like walked away and started something else or I don't know. And I was asking my parents for advice and my mom, who's sturdy and not any kind of real entrepreneur or anything like that. You know, she was a ballet teacher. Um, But I was asking them for advice. And, my, and, I, and, and after hearing all my plight and all my embarrassment and what my choices were and, and the difficulties that were ahead through this, chapter 11 rework that would take years to really work all the way through. She kind of stood up and walked away and said, well, you can quit or keep going. <laughs> and listen, that's it. That Like everything comes down to that decision, even waking up in the morning. Y- you can quit or you can keep going. And I made the decision to keep going, and I'm really glad I did. And I could not have known that at the time. I could not have known how it was going to work out, that uncertainty, back to embracing that uncertainty. But I could have quit. And by the way, I would still be alive, and I would still hopefully have a family. I'd still be doing things. But I chose to keep going. And so I think coming to terms with the simplicity of that, quit or keep going there is no in between
0: i love that advice uh it's um yeah it's it's so simple yet it's so powerful
1: yeah so th- yeah thanks thanks for letting me unpack these it's been a lot of fun and and i w- i would love you know there i think there's a lot of value in them i'm again taking no profit from any of it so definitely um for those listening check out the book all those proceeds are donated really proud of that uh check out the pod let me save you 25 years where like geniuses like Tara get to go deep with me on these topics. And it's been a lot of fun to put all that out there.
0: Super fun. So, well, Sean, thanks again. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll have all the info in the show notes and definitely pick up a copy of Let Me Save You 25 Years by Sean Nelson. So thanks again, Sean. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. I would love to hear from you too, so feel free to DM me. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Undaunted, where I share more about my journey, including founding and building, Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.